Hello, and welcome to the Agri-Food Safety Produce Bites podcast, where we discuss all things produce safety and dive into the rules and regulations surrounding the Food Safety Modernization Act Produce Safety Rule. In this episode, we'll be discussing environmental monitoring, which is a process of testing surfaces inside a packhouse or post-harvest area. Surfaces are tested for bacteria or indicators of potential contamination to determine if the practices used in the packhouse ensure a clean and sanitary product. It's important to note that environmental monitoring programs are not required to be compliant with the FSMA Produce Safety Rule. Good morning, this is Scott Wall with New Age Laboratories. This is Jordan DeVries, Produce Safety Technician with Nuego Conservation District. So we're here to talk about environmental monitoring, Scott. Um, your laboratory here does quite a bit of that, as I understand, and we're trying to just break down the science here for growers, help them understand um, why they would want to implement an environmental monitoring program or understand why their buyers might be doing some environmental monitoring. Oh, okay. Well, you know, it's, uh, I think the, the biggest push is that, um, you know, FSMA's coming online and uh, GAP and Primus audits are putting more point deductions behind the whole EM. Uh, so that's, I think that's what pushes people towards it. That's not necessarily where they should be considering it. For my growers and my producers that I'm working with, what I'd like to point out to them is that it's a risk mitigation for them. You know, they've invested a lot of money and a lot of time in building their brands. And they've got their entire life savings, their family's reputations behind you know, the, the name of their farm, the name of their, their business. And to put at risk that goodwill, because they don't have environmental monitoring plans to potentially mitigate risk, to find out if they've got some source of microbial contamination in their processing facility, um, just doesn't make sense nowadays. Okay, so it's kind of about identifying that source, that reservoir of microbial risk and trying to develop a strategy for addressing that on the farm. Does it help any with their audits? I know that it's not a requirement for a FSMA produce safety rule inspection, but when it comes to an audit, how does an environmental monitoring program support the work that they're doing with their GAPS program? Well, I think, yeah, under under the Primus audits, they are really looking at whether or not uh, some of the farms have and the packing facilities have environmental monitoring programs in place. Uh, there's some need to have the ATP in place, but keep in mind that ATP really validates your cleaning procedures. It doesn't validate your sanitation procedures. So the EMP or your environmental monitoring swabs and things like that, that's going to validate the cleaning and the sanitation. Uh, so there's the difference between the two. The ATP is very quick. You know, you're going to do that on farm. It's a readily received number right back to you to say, hey, we've done a good job. Uh, the EMP is a little bit more in depth. It's going to tell us what kind of, you know, what kind of microbial risk do we have? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So when we're looking at that, what's a sampling plan for an environmental monitoring program for your, your basic produce farm with a small pack shed? Um, how is that going to be different than in a larger produce processing facility? Well, what we typically do is we look at where their season's going to start. Uh, and we, we try to say, okay, get the facility set up, 
get it cleaned and sanitized, and then let's come in and do a, a baseline assessment. So in those types of situations, depending on how many lines they're going to run, that'll dictate how many swabs we're going to come in and do before any produce comes through that facility. Uh, because we want to get a, a feel of whether or not the, the, the lines and the buildings are clean to begin with. Because if we've got a hotspot that's already pre-existing, we need to get that addressed before produce starts coming through. So then we get that, that assessed. And then once produce is coming in, we'll cut it back to, you know, five samples a week, 10 samples a week, depending on how many lines there are. Typically, we try to set it at about five swabs per line. And that runs through the processing season. And those will be divided up between typically zone twos, zone threes, and zone fours. Uh, we stay away from zone ones um, because with fresh produce, we, we're we not in a hold and release situation. We're, you know, produce is coming in, processed, and going right back out. So we're, uh, we're trying to stay away from situations where we're going to be faced with a recall. Uh, but we do want to be able to have corrective actions if we find sanitation issues that we need to address. Oh, absolutely. Um, let's talk about water in an environmental monitoring program and <laughs> you know how we're addressing the movement of water within a facility and, and how that helps and make, sometimes makes your work more difficult. So, okay, so if you're when you're talking about water, are you talking about uh, fugitive water? Like fugitive puddles? water, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about puddles and, and yeah. things like that on the in the facilities. Fugitive water is a um, is 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 the biggest um, red flag. If 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 you're an auditor, if you're an inspector, if you're if you're looking for problems, you look for you look for fugitive water because those are um, they're, they're little pools of bacteria. Uh, you know, when we talk about how life formed on the on the on the globe, we talk about you know bacteria in in water. Uh, so when we have puddles on the floor, that's a place to look for bacteria. If we have, um, if we have condensation, condensation over produce is a problem. That becomes a zone one because if there's if there's condensation directly over where you got food, that is a source of contamination that can get directly get on a, on a, a food source. That has to be remediated. We have to take care of those types of things. So yeah, fugitive water is a big issue. Absolutely. So in areas where we may have some condensation, um, are you, you know, in a, in a ceiling or overhead pipes or things like that? Are those areas to test in an environmental monitoring program? Well, here's your problem. That's a zone one. If it's directly over the produce, it's a zone one. So if that pipe is in a place where it's not directly over the produce, test there. Don't do the swab directly over the produce because if you take it directly over the produce, now you've got a, a zone one versus where it could be considered as a zone two. Get a feel for it. But if you've got condensation where it's directly over the produce, remediate the situation. Put a catch pan, put a diverter on there. Just change the course. You know, eliminate that and then deal with, okay, what is the potential source of contamination? But anything that overhangs food, lights, let's say you've got a conveyor that goes through a tunnel. Those surfaces, once it goes into that tunnel, that, that surface inside that tunnel, that overhead, that's a zone one. And people don't think about that. You know, we think, oh, that's a zone two because it's adjacent to, but it's not because the potential of that surface, can anything can fall onto the, fr the food and vegetables. So that's a problem. Th those, are, those are issues that we have to kind of take, take advantage of avoiding. 
you know, we run into some of those. Sometimes we get um, in, in teaching um, environmental monitoring, a lot of the, the growers will want to do the sampling themselves. It saves them some money versus us going out and doing the sampling for them. And, and that's great. Um, biggest mistake, they jump in and sometimes they, they, they swab a zone one. See, yeah. So that can, you know, even a ceiling or a pipe or something like that, if it's dripping down, those can be zone ones inadvertently oh yeah. where they're not I've thinking I've seen them go right are. in and do brushes, yeah. you know, you know, a brush on an apple line or a tomato line or something like that. And it's like, okay, now you've got a hit of EB or something like that. It's like, okay, now what, how are you going to address that? Because now you've, you've kind of stepped into it. And if you've got produce that's come across there, we've got to address that. Now you've got to take, figure out how, how do you want to address potential risk that you've presented to an auditor or a gap inspector, that type of thing about, okay, is it a risk? Is it not a risk? What did you do to do corrective action? So now you've got to kind of take that, that piece of equipment apart, pull it, you know, really clean it up. And we're going to have to go back in and do another swab to prove that you remediated that problem. And was it really a pathogen or is it just an indicator? So there's, it kind of opens up Pandora's box and you have to really be careful with that. So it's good to hire a laboratory trained consultant to do your swabbing plan and set that up. And maybe in subsequent, you know, sample efforts, um, you, they can teach you where they want those swab locations to be. You may, um, consider that a biased sample, but it's good to know where your zones two and three are that you want sampled. But that first time around, it's really good to have a professional come in and swab them. Oh, absolutely. You know, work with your, work with your consultant, work with, uh, you know, work with somebody who's done it number of times, because there's a couple other issues that you want to, you want to start thinking about, uh, bias sampling. Um, don't all, don't just go in and swab nice, flat, open surfaces. We want to find the places where uh, we you call them sandwich locations, where two pieces of types of material come together, or you've got a nut and bolt, or something where you can't clean in between those, or a crack in the concrete, because those little places, that's where bacteria finds locations to hide, to, to grow. Those are the harborage points we talk about. Um, you know, and uh, so the bacteria finds that is a harbor, a safe place. You know, that's, that's, it's not a coincidence why we call it a harborage point. It's just, we, we all live along Lake Michigan here. You know, we know what it is to get off of the lake and into a harbor when it gets rough out there. That's exactly what the bacteria is doing. It's finding a safe place where you can't get at it. And then it grows and multiplies. Great. So, Let's bring that together and talk about what is a microbial hazard analysis. That's kind of an industry term. You know, you hear it floated out there, especially for those farms that have to comply with the preventative controls uh, rule for mm -hmm. human food. It's another FISMA rule. Um, but how is a microbial hazard analysis different on a farm? I think it's terminology, really, to tell you the truth. We're basically going on to the farms and saying, let's assess what the potential risks on the farm or in the packing facilities are that could contribute microbial risk to the product and to the end produce going off the facility. So, you know, it, it, it's a critical assessment that should be done with a team. So you want to bring into that team individuals from all the different sectors 
of the, the pro production. And so the bigger the facility, you'll have more people involved. The smaller the farm, you'll have less people involved. But you want to look at, okay, what's going on in the field? So you take into account ag water. You want to take into account wildlife intrusion. You want to take into account, um, your, are you mechanical harvesting or are you hand picking? And what is your training on hand picking? And do, do you have proper hygiene training? So all these different sections, you take start assessing them. And what is the the risk and the vulnerability to the produce for microbial contamination by those different sectors all the way through your operation. Right now, you know, I'm really involved in assessing risk and, and quantifying risk. So if you can go through that process and give each one of those categories a scaled value of one to five, say, and the higher the risk, you give a higher number. Well, then you can you can then prioritize what is the you know which areas you need to invest more time into earlier, and say, okay, wow, my training program just isn't up to snuff, or I've got a real problem with cross traffic patterns in my packing facility because my all of my forklift traffic from my loading dock crosses exactly the same pattern that my uh, my employees go from the break room into the processing into the, the processing room. And so now we've got a cross contamination because we've got raw product and finished product traffic patterns crossing. And that means we've got a risk of something that's already clean being recontaminated with raw product. And that's, uh, those are things that we don't always see. Uh, and and that's, that's something that an environmental monitoring plan will tell us, okay, yeah, you saw it in the assessment, now let's let's validate and see if, if what we saw is true. So using those those testing procedures and our swabs and things like that to we think we're we're having a problem might be in our heads by just a, doing a visual assessment. We're then backing it up with some some real scientific data yeah. and saying yes, this is actually a problem. And in some cases, no, actually that practice is working just fine. Oh yeah, you know the number of times you know. I think a lot of times people think, oh, here's my problem's going to be over here. The number of facilities we've gone to and probably the most contaminated source in the facility is the, uh, the break room picnic table. You know, it, it'll have astronomic levels of E. coli or Enterobacteriaceae on the picnic table because nobody's, nobody's thinking about those little cracks and, and crevices on there. But all of our workers are eating there and then going back out to the processing room. Sure. Wow. And so it's and that's a zone four. Yeah. You know, that's that's something way away from where we're supposed to be doing the, the processing. But it's a source that we can then take back into the process area. Okay. So one of the things on my mind and, and think about this with other growers, there's obviously a cost to this and it can range from just a, a few couple dollars a month, you know, and adding this into really going, you know, gangbusters and spending a lot of money on all this. It sounds like you are adding some value there to growers and helping them identify where those problem areas are. So what's the value proposition for environmental monitoring on small to medium sized farms? You know, that's a, that's a really good question because I, and we, we debate this all the time. Uh, when I say we, um, myself and, and other at, at MSU, I'm, I'm, I'm one, one class away from having my master's in, in food safety. And so, uh, I always bring the small processors viewpoint to 
discussions because most of my uh, classmates and the professors deal with you know big operations and I'm bringing the small operator and FISMA really focuses on big but you know there's a cost paid by the small operators too there's a financial burden paid by the small operator how do we how do we how do they incur these things and we have to look at it and say what can we start with don't start with the Taj Mahal. You're always going to be apprehensive. They're always going to say, I can't afford it. I can't afford to add anything. Our margins are tight. You can't, you can't afford to not do it, but you have to, so you have to do something. Start. Start with at least getting a baseline. Figure out where your issues might be. Get your, get your risk assessment done, right? Mm -hmm. Figure out what could be issues. Make sure that the programs you have in place make sense, that they're not just SOPs in a book that you don't follow. Right. We were talking right. about that earlier. Yeah. Do a baseline. Do a couple swabs a week or a couple swabs every two weeks. It'll be your first season, but get a season under your belt. Start doing something. Then maybe if, it didn't, if you don't break the bank, you start next year. Maybe you learn a little bit of something and we build onto it. And eventually you'll have a full-fledged program that you worked into. Um, and I think that's the, that's, that's, that's the course that I would recommend. Don't try to eat the elephant all in one bite. It, do it in steps. Because you'll get credit for doing something. And you can always improve upon it. You know, FISMA is ISO-based. And ISO says... Tell me what you're going to do. Do what you said you were going to do. Document it, then review it, and improve upon it. So let's start. Let's start somewhere and then build. Build off of it. Yeah, I, I think in a lot of cases, you know, growers, we, we're out there doing these risk assessments on either on-farm readiness reviews or produce safety risk assessments with conservation district technicians. And, you know, we're, we're thinking theoretically about what these problems are based on experience on other farms and what is in the produce safety rule, we don't actually know if there are risks. We can't see these microbes any better than the farmer can. So going through an environmental monitoring program and actually knowing what those risks may be, having that raw data is going to be something really useful, like you mentioned, in prioritizing, you know, what are the value of each of these risks that I have? And let's take out those big ones first before we need to, you know, move through the smaller ones and eventually get down to that, you know, 99% risk-free farm. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, and, and make sure that it's, a, build a program that is actually doing something. Don't just, don't put something in place that's just there to try and fool an auditor. You know, don't, don't collect a, a set of samples two weeks before the audit so that you can put a piece of paper in front of the auditor. Um, because then all you're doing it for is simply for the audit points and you're not, you're, you're not safeguarding anything. You're not safeguarding yourself and you're not safeguarding the public health. Um, I, I know how hard it is in, to, to make a living in, in farming and you know, the, the obligations on us are higher and higher every year. And 
the number of my friends and, and my growers and packers who have said, you know, we've never made anybody sick. And I see more food safety problems in a grocery store than I've ever done on my own farm. I get it. I understand all of that. But what, what they have to understand is that as inspections come on board, and if some indication of filth or unsanitary condition exists on your farm, and that leads to a swabbing, and that swab comes up positive, and that positive is then genome sequenced, and that goes into this into the database, and that links that positive to a, a genomic illness, as many years back as 10, 12 years, we've got over 10 million unsolved deaths and illnesses in our genome sequence database right now. You may find out that you've made somebody sick or died from something that's resident on your farm that you never knew existed. And so it would behoove us to, to if, if they can come back and say, yeah, but I've got a program in place, I'm working on it. Then you've legally, you you have worked to show that you're, you're at it. But if you've, all you've done is made a paper mache program, you're, you're, you're at huge risk. You're, you're just, you're putting your, your family and, and all your employees uh, at risk. So I say, I, I, say, I understand it, um, but if you're going to stay in agriculture, this is, this is the game and this is how it's going to be played. And, and I don't think we've got a choice. I see. So. Yeah. So... If we're going through this conceptually here and um, a farm has conducted an environmental monitoring program, sent the results to a lab like yours, you come back and we did have a hit on a um, secondary or uh, third level zone on the Mm -hmm. farm. What's the next step? Where are we trying to point the farm to now? Well, first, don't panic um, because we want to find them. So if you, if you get a positive hit on a, on a zone two, zone three, zone four, the first thing to do is go to your program, figure out what your corrective action procedure is. So we want to go back to that location. We want to uh, re-sanitize it. We want to clean it, sanitize it, re-swab it. We also want to assess all of our procedures around that area to determine why is it not up to our sanitation and, and, uh, and cleanliness criteria? Um, are we not cleaning it the way we said we were? Did somebody not do their job? Sometimes we find out people just aren't doing it or somebody turned back the, the sanitation levels. Um, you know, oh, well, it smelled like chlorine in the facility. So we dialed back the chlorine in the fl- flume. Well, did you mark that down? And now all of a sudden we have higher levels, you know, someplace. Uh, I think those are the types of things you have to kind of investigate. And corrective actions mean root cause analysis. That is a really nebulous term. Nobody explains ever what root cause analysis really is, you know. And the, probably the and we have to use it here in the laboratory because we have undergo audits too. The easiest way for me to explain it is ask why five times. Why is it this? Okay, well, it's this way because of that. Well, why is it that way? And then if you keep asking why at least five times, you should come down to a a root cause analysis. Is it that way because we didn't have money to spend on it? Or is it that way because we didn't have enough people to do do 
do something that day? Is it that way because the person wasn't trained properly? I mean, this is what you want to get down to. And then the corrective action will come out of what your answers were in that root cause analysis. Excellent. So it, it ends up being uh, something for the farm to follow. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. A nice you know, template there. Because if, if all you're doing is... If, if all you're doing is doing swabs to find dirties to, to re-clean it, then you're treating the symptom, not the cause. And the whole, the, the whole purpose, of this, the purpose of this is to create preventative measures so that you reduce your risk, not just clean it up. And because if you don't, if you don't change your practices, if you don't change the way you do things, then you're not reducing your risk. Sure. So a question I often ask growers in discussing this is, are you willing to make changes based on the evidence that's presented? Because in some cases, if, if they're not going to change it anyway, and they just really want to know, you know, can I clean that better? Can I clean that surface better? The environmental monitoring program is not achieving what it's set out to achieve, at least on paper. Um, how do you discuss with growers that they may want to look at changing both product flow and handling patterns, and maybe even uh, upgrading to some more hygienic equipment. Return on investment. Yeah. That's the easiest way to explain it to them. Um, because if you're not willing to make changes, then very likely the, 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 what they're going to end up doing is just throwing more money at what they perceive to be the issue. You know, so they'll throw more money at sanitizer. They'll throw more labor at cleaning something. But the answer isn't more. It's about doing something smarter. It's, oh, well, if we just had two pallet jacks and that pallet jack only goes from here to there and this pallet jack picks up from there to here, we eliminate the cross traffic pattern. And now it's not a matter of sanitation. It was a matter that we were pulling raw stuff into our clean area. Think smarter, not um, always more. More isn't always better. It's, it's a lot like... It's a lot like fertilizer plants, you know, it's not always more that's better. Absolutely. So in kind of wrapping this up, I, you've done quite a bit of environmental monitoring on produce farms. What's a mistake out there that someone could make as they're starting this program besides wanting to just go gung-ho and doing all the samples themselves? I think the biggest mistakes that I see is that when they... Well, one, not having, not doing it. That, that's the biggest mistake. Uh, but once they start getting involved in it, they start too late in the season. And so they're right on top of produce is going to be coming in. And now they decide they're going to do a, an environmental monitoring plan. And, and, and they're already hectic over the fact that, oh, I got to get the equipment in place. I got to do this. I got to do that. And now they want to shove in a, an environmental monitoring plan. You got to plan these things out in advance. You know, in April, you need to be planning for what we're going to be doing in June. You know, sit down with the lab, sit down with somebody, get a, get the cost estimate, get the have them come in and walk through the facility and say, okay, here's how we're going to do the baseline, and let's have the equipment set up by this time so that you can so that you can get these things on the calendar. Get in there, get the swabbing because it's going to take a week to get the swabs taken into the lab, cultured the data back. And if you have hot spots, you've got to remediate those. So you've got to get yourself time. And you and I know that we don't control 
what Mother Nature's going to do as far as the produce coming in out of the field. She's got her own ideas of what's going to happen there. So give yourself some cushion and then, um, then be consistent with it. All stay on top of it. Uh, then probably the, the last thing is don't just collect data. Don't, don't just collect pieces of paper to put in the book. Understand how to use the data for trending to see, okay, what's going on. And then really monitor, am, am I improving? You know, if you're not improving, figure out why you're not improving. Uh, so I think those, those would be the things that I would recommend. Absolutely. Well, that was very informative. Hopefully it helps a lot of growers out there and we appreciate your time. So thanks a lot. You're very welcome. Really enjoyed it. Links or definitions to anything referenced in this episode are provided in our show notes, which can be accessed on the website at canr.msu.edu slash agrifood underscore safety. You may also visit the Agrifood Safety website for additional produce safety resources, trainings, and assistance offered by MSU Extension. Thank you to everyone for listening, and don't forget to tune in next month for another episode of our Produce Bites podcast.